Hi, this is Liz Craven. Welcome to Sage Aging. This is your podcast for understanding the aging and caregiving journey and connecting to the information and resources that will make your experience better. Before we dive in, let me remind you that you can find all Sage Aging episodes, the Sage Aging Elder Care Guide, and much more at eldercareguide.com. The life of a caregiver can be quite hectic. Days are filled with long to-do lists, balancing family relationships, maybe a job, and meeting the needs of the loved one that you're caring for. Sometimes that care is hands-on caregiving, and sometimes it's managing the care from afar. Regardless, your days are full and busy. We often talk about those responsibilities and how to juggle it all and how to somehow find a little bit of time for self-care too, but today we're going to take a look beyond the caregiver day-to-day. Today we're going to talk about when a loved one passes. I know it's not easy to let your mind go there, especially when you're in the midst of your caregiving journey, but you'll want to know it before you need it. You've heard me say that before. We need to know things before we need them if we want our process to be a smooth one. Joining me for today's episode is Barbara Harrington. You'll recognize that name. We just had a great conversation in the last episode, episode 66, about the Five Wishes Advanced Care Planning document. I hope you had a chance to listen to that. If you didn't, I'd encourage you to jump back and listen to it. It is a great episode that really goes hand in hand with today's conversation. So I'm super excited to have Barbara join me again. Barbara is the founder and owner of All About Aging, which is an aging life care firm in Polk County, Florida. And if you want more information about what an aging life care manager does, back in episode eight, Barbara joined me to talk all about that. And so I think you win the award, Barbara, for being the most frequent guest on my podcast with this being your third episode. So thank you so much for joining me again. Well, you're welcome. I appreciate doing it. There's just so much good information that we have learned through the years, and I'm happy to share. I asked Barbara to join me for this conversation, not just because of her expertise and her education and her professional experience, but because of her personal caregiving experiences, too. And as we chat, you're going to learn a little bit more about her story and how those two tie together so completely. And I think she's going to be able to offer us some great insight today in our conversation. So this is a hard topic. They're all hard topics, (laughs) but I've tapped you two times in a row for really hard topics, and this is another one. I know how personally it touches me and so many people that are listening, because when a loved one passes, life transitions in a very big way. And I've got tears forming in my eyes right now just thinking about when I lost my mom and The days that happened after that, the standing in the middle of the room and not knowing what to do next, you know, having the release of the tears and that moment, and then the next day waking up and there was no laundry to do and there were no meds to check and there was no breakfast to prepare and there was no hospital run to make. All of those things that consume your life for so long are suddenly gone And though it's a relief in some ways, you feel completely lost 
in other ways. That for me is where this conversation is coming from. It is my hope that we can maybe help prepare others for what's coming down the road, that we can help them to know it before they need it and help them to somewhat prepare. I'm not sure you can ever really be prepared, but that we can kind of help them get there. So thank you for agreeing to join me for this conversation too. Absolutely. And I agree. It is one of the tough ones. Yeah, it is. It's a hard one. It's an emotional one. It can take you to an uncomfortable place. And I know we did that to you last episode too, but I think this is a conversation that will actually help to ease some of that stress. So before we jump in though, I want to go back to my fun question. Barbara had double duty because she was with me last week. So she had to tell us two words that described her last week. And she brought two new words to this episode. So tell me two words to describe yourself. I would say two words to describe me would be curious. I'm always curious and I'm persistent. And I would say those describe you very well. Those are words I would have chosen for you too. And I love the curiosity word. Because doesn't curiosity lead to such a fun life? Doesn't it? Absolutely. You're curious about everything. You want to learn more. You want to investigate. You just don't take things at face value. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't ever stop, does Mm -mm. it? No, no. All the way to the end. I want to be curious. Exactly. Great, great, great Mm -hmm. words. Well, let's jump into your caregiving story. Your story really formed most of your adult life, your caregiving story. It did. So... My mother-in-law was an, just a delightful Southern Belle. She was just a joy, and she loved me just unconditionally. She was just a, a joy to have in our lives. But she had a lot of health issues, so she was an incredible caregiver for Mike's dad. She took such good care of him, and that was when my babies were just little, and we were not very involved in helping her. They lived elsewhere, but she did a super job. So as the time grew, came along and she started having a lot of health issues, especially with rheumatoid arthritis and really bad back pain, we ended up taking care of her a lot, ultimately having her live with us and then in her own place and eventually in an assisted living community. And at some point she developed Alzheimer's. And as mm-hmm. with most people, you know, we were in total denial. The kept, friends kept telling me things were wrong. Oh, no, she's fine. What I didn't realize is well before cell phone time, I would call her 30 minutes before we were supposed to pick her up. I'd call her 20 minutes before. I'd call her five minutes before we're on the way. And you get there and she's not ready. (laughs) And I still was in denial. So actually for her, it took a seven hour drive to Orlando from Winter Haven, an hour drive. Where were she those seven hours? Oh gosh. How many guardian angels were working that night? We were, we had moved away. The doctors had assured me she was fine and she was charming. She charmed everybody. So that's how I learned how hard it is to diagnose. Alzheimer's. But through that, I realized she needed an advocate, you know, and to try to help work with her, with the doctors and help them see what she was saying might not really be accurate. You know, that was where a lot of my strong advocacy came from. And the caregiving was, it becomes all consuming. It's Mm -hmm. always on your mind and your heart, no matter where they are. You're like, is she okay? Am I getting a phone call? I remember one time, I mean, if she woke up and it was a bad day with the rheumatoid arthritis, she needed to see the doctor. She needed to get an injection or something. And I remember my youngest being three years old and the end of the three-year-old preschool party was at my house. I was like, you guys take care because I'm taking Nita to the doctor, (laughs) you know, and you just do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So it becomes so overwhelming. And you don't realize that it's insidious. And 
it, but it's beautiful. I mean, it's such a gift to be able to care for someone. My mom doesn't live close by. She has eight children, so everybody cares in different ways, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. And I think I have learned that through the business. You know, the families, everybody has their strength, and what can they bring to the table to help provide care? So it's been really an interesting journey with the caregiving and really honoring the role of a caregiver. And I think the thing that happens when someone dies is the caregiver has lost their job. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't even realize it has become a job. It has become their preoccupation completely. So like you're saying, the next day, it's like, well, who am I? What am I supposed to do? Every, oh, everything yes. that I know that I'm supposed to be doing is changed. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to honor yourself at that point, you know, and, and recognize for me it was coming out of church one morning. The kids were all with me, but I immediately turned on the cell phone, and I thought, why am I doing that? She, she's died. She's gone. Why, why do I need to have my phone on? My kids are here. But yep. it was just that constant awareness of, are they calling? Is she okay? Mm-hmm. I tell you, it's been seven years I still pick up the phone to check on her. Oh, interesting. Yes. It's yeah. it's something I still think about. Now I can laugh at myself when I do that. At first, that would send me to tears <laughs> because I'd have to realize again, oh, no. Yes. And you know what I think is important for people to recognize? They are the caregiver. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's your person that you care about, you may not be the one directly right there. They may not be in your home, but you still are the caregiver. I think, especially when people have to place a family member in a community and they think they've lost that role, but it's like you have not. It's just changed. Thank you, you for bringing that up. That is such an important point. I have had so many conversations with people who say, oh, well, I'm not the caregiver. I just take care of the money. Or I'm not the caregiver, but we hire someone to come in and do that. Well, guess what? You are a caregiver. You are. You are, Mm -hmm. in some way, whether it's a small way or a big way, responsible for the health and well-being of another individual. That makes you a caregiver. And caregivers don't all look identical. Some people work full-time and live locally. Some people live hours and hours away, maybe even a plane ride or across the pond you know it's it doesn't matter we are all caregivers when we have a responsibility for the health and well-being of another and just because you are not providing the hands-on care does not mean that you are not providing care so I think some people don't honor themselves in the role that they're playing I agree I agree. And, you know, Liz, it used to be people, they were called caretakers. Mm -hmm. It's like, but they're not. You're a caregiver. If you separate that word, you are giving care. And maybe it's as simple as a phone call, Mm -hmm. as simple as, you know, providing something that they love, sending them something they love. You are the caregiver. And it takes a team of caregivers. And that was the only way I could do it with Mike's mom. It was, you know, the kids all helping, Mike helping. You develop a team so that you can maintain your well-being. Yep. And the team approach is the best way. Mm -hmm. And I know not all families have that dynamic. I know it can be very difficult for some. And I wish I had words that could lead you to a better resolution for that. But it's unfortunate. Sometimes that's just how it is. And you have to kind of take ownership for yourself. But when the family does come together, and when there is 
a team approach of not only just family members, but your care practitioners. And if there's an assisted living or home care agency involved and the medical professionals and the neighbors and the friends, that really makes the best scenario possible. It really does. Excuse me. You get a chance to let everybody bring forth their strength. Mm-hmm. And it's, it brings a good, well-balanced joy to the, the person receiving the care. Besides caregiver, sometimes people are called care partner, especially mm-hmm. in the earlier stages of a dementia where they don't want to feel like they need a caregiver. Right. And so I love care that. partner is beautiful. But getting back to our topic about when a loved one passes, I don't think that there is any way to really prepare for that. Certainly not emotionally. I mean, you can... You can be fortunate enough, like I was, to have two and a half years to journey my mom's cancer with her, that there's nothing left unsaid and that all of the words were spoken and we left and parted in a good place. So that was a real gift to have that time to say goodbye to her. But there are situations where someone passes suddenly and both of those situations are difficult and unique in their own way and there's an emotional toll that comes along with that and that in my mind, is the first thing that has to be dealt with when a loved one passes. You have to figure out where you stand. Right. What would you say about that? You really do. And you have to acknowledge your grief. And the grief is going to change as you go through the next several months. So I think it's important to recognize how, what help do you need? Lean on your family. Lean on your friends. Let people know what has happened. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry for months. You know, you just have to really recognize this is a huge part of my life that is now gone. Yes. I think it's kind of interesting that there's so many practical things you have to take care of when Mm -hmm. someone dies, if you're the one responsible for all that. And in some ways it's good because it puts your mind elsewhere, but you still need to recognize the value of the relationship you had and Mm -hmm. how that is going to be with you forever and let yourself have time to reflect on that life and reflect on your relationship and really sit with that for a while. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And it's important to recognize if you're not processing through that as well. Yes. And if you are having a problem processing through that, understand that there is absolutely never, ever, ever any shame in reaching out for help. Completely. It is sometimes the best idea to have an objective person outside of your family circle to help you walk through the grief of losing someone. I know so many people who will say, no, you know, I'll just be strong. Right. Well, you don't have to always be strong. You just spent a good chunk of your life caring for someone else and being strong. Right. Being the strong one okay. and holding on to it all. And it's okay to release that and let that go and let somebody be strong for you. And if that means reaching out for extra help, please do that. Exactly. You know. That is a great point because the research shows that grief will often peak like six months later. It's when you finally realize this person is really gone. So give yourself time to recognize that and be with it. I think it's just so important, like you're saying, to honor that with yourself and look at, now what am I doing for my self-care? You know, we Mm -hmm. always tell you, take care of yourself, put your oxygen mask on first when you're the caregiver, but the reality is we know that doesn't always happen. Right. So you want to begin to make a plan of, how am I coping? What am I going to be walking? Am I doing some yoga? Do I need some aromatherapy? And it's okay to talk to your doctor. 
if right. you need some medical help for a short time. And then, miraculously, at some point, what you will find is that those tears of sorrow that you shed all the time, probably every day for a while, mm -hmm. those will suddenly turn to tears of joy that when you think of your loved one, you start to giggle about the funny things that they did and, yes. and some of the fun times you had rather than the sorrow of losing them. So that's a little bit of encouragement. If you're facing it right now, a little bit hard to believe that that's going to happen, but it will. And it's a beautiful thing when it does. So I do often still have tears over my mother, but 99% of the time they are tears of joy for everything that we shared, you know, mm -hmm. and not just her. We also cared for my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. And the same way, those people hold such dear places in my heart. And I enjoy now being able to go back to those memories. And you probably hear yourself different times quoting them. All the time. You know, all the all things. The time. Well, this is how he did it. This is how she did yep. it. Your mom would always say, mm -hmm. and that's a very fun way to keep them alive. Oh, yes, absolutely. They're all very much alive in our household and in our family, and it's mm -hmm. a really great thing to get there. And it takes a little bit of time. It um, does. But once does. you get there, you're going to enjoy that. So let's turn our attention to the practical things that have to happen after a loved one passes. That was That was hard. I was the person, okay. and I didn't have any guide to take me through that. But there are a lot of practical things that have to happen, and there's not necessarily a readily accessible checklist of things to do, which, by the way, we're going to provide one for you. That's coming, so it'll be in the blog post and show notes for this episode, and that will live on the eldercareguide.com website so that you can have access to that. So let's start there. What are the first things that have to happen in a practical sense when your loved one passes? So in a practical sense, depending where they are, you know, if they're at home, you need to call the doctor. Somebody has to proclaim the death. If hospice is there, the hospice nurse can do it. Otherwise, they will need to be taken to the hospital, most likely, and have you know the official time of death, that sort of thing. You know, the best gift, again, ahead of time is if your person has done any funeral planning. Mm -hmm. So then you know which funeral home to call. You know, did they want cremation? You know, do they want a ceremony? But even before that, you want to contact your friends. Maybe you have a certain friend that you want to say, would you tell people? Right. I remember my very first time many years ago having to tell somebody. I, I knew that my, my good friends, uh, his dad had died. So I went out to the house and it was a real surprise to him to die so quickly. And he was so sad. The parents were so such joy, and his mom was still there, and his wife was there. And and he said, you know, we were supposed to go out to dinner tonight with my boss. Would you let him know that I can't make it? So I went back to the other room, and I called the boss. I said, you know, they, they can't make it tonight. And I came back out, and my friend said, did you tell him why? I'm like, uh, no. I have to say somebody died? <laughs> you know, oh. What? <laughs> this was way back. So I went back to the phone, and I had to say, the reason is because you know, his dad passed away today, mm -hmm. and that was so hard to do. So, of course, he was able to spread the word at work, and I think it's important to let people help you with that. You know, mm -hmm. kind of use your network. I have found that really interesting and important in our job. Who, with us, when the family is out of town, who do we want to contact that is going to let all of the family know who is going to be the one? So you want to have that in 
practical ways, again, with the funeral planning, you're going to have a lot to do there, which keeps you busy. And it's really nice to have the funeral planning in my mind. This is just, I am Catholic. We do a nice send-off. And um, I think it's a beautiful way to recognize that person's life. I have a hard time personally with any of our clients that when they're gone, they're gone. Family does nothing. Oh. Yeah, so that does happen sometimes. And oh, that's, that's so but, interesting. Isn't it? It's like, wow, it's, they just, you know, they think they don't have any friends left or, you know, there's just so many different reasons people might not do a, a service mm-hmm. or any kind of a ceremony. Sometimes in the facilities, they will do some kind of recognition when the person's gone, not just have them taken out the back door. Right. You know? So I, I value life a lot. I want that life recognized. You know, I yes. want that person honored. So we will help with whatever planning can be done. But you also want to honor their wishes. You know, once in a blue moon, the person says, I don't want anything. And that's hard for families oh, to reconcile sure. with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, my mother-in-law, she was something else. She also struggled with cancer. And through her two-and-a-half-year journey through that, she decided she was planning her own funeral. And let me tell you, she planned the most beautiful service. She chose everything down to every word spoken and every song that was sung. She also made requests about what we wear. Don't wear black. She wanted us to wear bright colors, (laughs) and that was wonderful. The only thing that the family had to do was to make the picture board. Oh my goodness. That stood Isn't in that the front. Yes. It was wonderful mm-hmm. and beautiful and there was no stress. It, it was a wonderful experience all the way around because the only responsibility we had was to hold each other up and to love each other and to share her beautiful memories. Right, because even though she had all that planning, you still, like you say, you're never quite ready. Mm-hmm. So that is really interesting. So in the five wishes that we talked about earlier, you can be that detailed. You can put mm-hmm. in what songs you want, maybe even which you know priest or minister you want to do the service. There's so much that wow. you can specify. And that's a really interesting role for her, that mm-hmm. she reconciled with the end of her life. That's a real life journey that you're able to assimilate everything that happened in your life and you want to have a good goodbye for everybody. It was beautiful. Yeah, that is. But on other practical terms, you do need to get death certificates. So they're certified, but sometimes you need them to say cause of death and sometimes it doesn't need to say. So we usually say get you know, 15 to 20 copies, so you don't have to try to get them again later. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, so many people that you have to notify. You want to cancel the driver's license. You want to cancel credit cards. You might want to cancel or check with the credit bureau and let one of the credit bureaus know the person has passed to help protect from any identity theft. You need to file the death certificates, but you need to file the will, and it needs to be the original will. So isn't that a challenge? Mm. So you want to know ahead of time. You know, make sure people know where is your will and who is the executor. So the executor needs to know, wow, I need to know where all the assets are. We need to do an inventory of the house. I need to know, did the bank account and the stocks, whatever, are they transfer on death? Or is there a beneficiary? Or are we going all the way through probate? So it's usually a good idea to talk with an attorney and see if it's a probate issue. You definitely want the attorney to work with you. If things were set up differently with a revocable living trust and you know different tools that way that the attorney has set up for you, you may not have to be as involved. It's easier to transfer as according to the will. But even before they die, you want to check and see were they an organ donor, and mm-hmm. are they in shape that you can talk to the doctor and say, you know, is this are their organs viable for somebody else? So keep an eye on that. Um, but that's canceling the driver's license. Um, 
you want to cancel or get rid of all the medicines. You have to dispose of those safely, whether it's at yes. the police department or how are you going to get rid of those. You want to look at all of the supplies that you had and where can you donate those supplies. You're going to have to, if the person was at home, you're calling hospice or the durable medical equipment people to take back the hospital bed and maybe oxygen, you know, whatever you might have had there. But back to the paperwork, you, there's going to be a lot of paperwork. So you want to get organized and set up a system for all the paperwork and make sure creditors are paid. You know, make sure that you have just talked to Social Security. There's so many aspects. So your checklist is going to be wonderful. You know, something else you might think about, of course, is the obituary. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you going to, how detailed do you want to be? What's the family history? How much do you want to put in there? Because the obituary is such, you know, a tribute to the entire family. So you want to look at, at that. And maybe you've already got something somewhat prepared ahead of time. Um, you need to look at, with the newspapers, how much does it cost? They're so expensive now. But also, do you want an obituary in their hometown? Maybe they're a snowbird and they're here. But you want right. to share the news with friends and uh, distant relatives up there. I think you also want to consider, did they identify ahead of time if somebody wants to do a memorial gift? You know, do you want flowers at the funeral? Or do you want to say, instead of flowers, she loved the Humane Society or she loved hospice or whatever it might be that you want to identify to people? Where can they give a memorial gift? I think there's, um, and like, I'm so glad you're going to do a good checklist because there are a couple of interesting websites. And there's uh, one really interesting book by a guy named Kurt Grube, G-R-U-B-E. And he's the co-author of a book that's titled, Please Don't Die, But If You Do, What Do I Do Next? <laughs> So, so good. <laughs> yeah, it really, really helps a it's lot. the best title. <laughs> yes, yes. Because you need to do the practical things. You need to secure the home. You mm-hmm. need to get any valuables taken care of that might need to be taken care of. And in my experience, also <laughs> appointing a person who will field all of the phone calls and That's who will field idea. all of the offers for delivering food and things like that, because that can get to be a big job all in itself that is a super idea and especially if you're going to have some kind of a you know a gathering after the service mm-hmm. um, which is super important i did talk with somebody recently to ask what their situation was hers was uh, a son who died by suicide mm. and it was it was horrible i mean everybody was in such oh, shock sweet 40 year old young man with a family and she said you know we didn't plan afterwards well we didn't plan what's next and um, it, it was just really because you were in such shock. So I right. like that idea of having a point person help plan. What are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, right away after the service, the next day, when you're all getting together again, what, what is going to happen? Yes. Most and I especially definitely. like that not having to be the executor. You yes. Know, kind of divide up the chores. And hopefully the executor can ask different people to do different things right and a good family friend is usually a good candidate for that because they're a little bit removed right from the emotion of the situation Mm -hmm. not that they don't have any but it's typically someone who can be a little bit more objective and who doesn't have to worry about offending someone who says i'm bringing over a pan of lasagna and for that person to say, we already have four, exactly. <laughs> please hold off. And maybe we could ask you, you know, to boldly ask for what the family needs. You know, yeah. what the family really could use is, you know, someone to check in in three weeks from now, make right. sure they're doing OK and kind of guide the process of aftercare. Because what I find is most people really want to participate in the aftercare 
for people they care about, whether mm -hmm. that's a friend or a coworker or a community person. You really want to participate in that, but it's hard to know what to do. And if there's somebody directing those activities, that's good for everybody. That is. That's a beautiful idea. You know, one of the main practical things you have to do also, if you are the executor, you have to contact IRS and you get a tax ID number. Mm. And that helps you set up a separate account to help disperse the funds and pay, like I say, any outstanding bills, insurance claims. You may even want to get a CPA to help handle taxes that need to be taken care of when tax time comes around. Right. So many things. So many things. Mm -hmm. Even the practical of what about the mail? you got to forward the mail. You know, who's who's taking care of all that? Right. And timeline, what do you experience with your clients? What is the timeline that you typically see for finally getting through all of the things? Because at first it's going to be the most necessary and immediate things like the death certificate and right. taking care of some of those things. But there are things like the mail and I know I still get a couple of things from my mom all those years ago <laughs> still <laughs> yes yes um well the first three months are usually pretty intense if it is a probate situation i think give yourself at least three months to know it's going to be settled and so you want the people who are in the will who are you know, identified in the will to know it could take some time for this to get settled mm -hmm. but usually between four to six months things should be settled unless it's super complicated right great that's good to know so now that we've gotten all the practical things out of the way, we have our timeline set, we know what to look out for in the coming days and months, there's the biggest task of all that sits there like an elephant in the room, finding the new normal. Isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Well, that's where it's okay to go to a grief support group talk with a grief counselor you know your hospice wherever you are your hospice will offer free grief counseling whether your person was involved in hospice or not so that's an important way to maybe help you reconcile with the intensity of what you were doing and what's happening now so give yourself room to know this is okay it's okay mm -hmm. if I don't want to exercise yet. It's okay if I don't want to go be out to dinner yet with people. Give yourself time to adjust and decide, you know, be attentive how you are creating your new norm. Mm -hmm. And how do you even begin to explore that, though? Because here's the thing. I think as caregivers, we tend to lose our identity a we bit. Mm -hmm. So the things that we enjoyed before we became a caregiver may not be the same things that we would enjoy now because there might have been a lot of years that passed in right. between. Isn't that the truth? Yes. Right. Yes. Some some people have a very short caregiving experience, but some of us have over a period of many years. Right. right. And so it can be rediscovering yourself completely. It really is. And it may be a friend. You need, you know, I would say don't go it alone. You mm -hmm. know, get the friend, get the sister, the brother, the mom, the uncle, the somebody who you can talk with and walk with, you know, literally walk with, explore your emotions, explore what else is out there. Because like I say, to me, the huge thing is you have lost your job. Mm -hmm. You've lost your role as a caregiver. And it does take some time to settle out to who am I? So give yourself time and, and work through it with somebody. Good advice. Mm -hmm. Really good advice. Do you know what I forgot to mention is What's the it? digital footprint. Isn't that a big deal oh, now? Oh, yes. So some, when, not, when attorneys are 
creating wills now, they're actually putting information in there about identifying the digital footprint and access to it. So hopefully you have that information ahead of time. If Mm -hmm. not, hopefully there's a password book or something that you can get in and handle what needs to be handled there. I think Facebook even has some protocol for handling somebody's account. Mm -hmm. They do. You can designate somebody that if you pass that they become... I can't remember what the name is that they call it, but they basically become the manager of your account and they can manage it as if they were you. And you designate that person on the back end in your settings, which I find very interesting. Isn't it? That's where we are now this day and time. But, you know, their computer to know where are all the digital files that are important, where are the photos that are important. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what you had talked about um, with your mother-in-law, putting that photo board together. And that time spent with family the week immediately after and planning the service is so beautiful. It, it was can, very it nice. Is, it can be a real healing, reconciling time. It can also be one of the worst times in your life. Yes. It can be a time where family just is at each other. Mm-hmm. So you're really trying to try to you know, work together to help people make it a great time to honor and, and remember that person. I remember when Mike's mom died, and we had a service here in Winter Haven because she'd been here for so long, but then we also had a service at her church up in Jacksonville. And we got there that morning, and the beautiful little flyer that they have that tells everything had her name wrong. Oh, no. And I'm like, Dorothy is not her middle name. She does not have a middle name. We are not starting this service until we get these things fixed. (laughs) There was no way I was going to have her fighting correctly. (laughs) What? So you want to look at all those details. Yes, those are important details, <laughs> name especially. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, this is a record. You know, you want this correct. Yes. But I think this is one of the quotes that, that I did see is that a heart that hurts is a heart that works. Mm-hmm. And you've done a lot of heart requiring work. So it's okay to take time to take care of your heart and, and your own well-being. Yep. You know, we encourage that to caregivers all the time. And like I said before, we know it's not the reality but it's so important to regain who you are. It is. It is. And to discover and rediscover yourself and give yourself permission to take the time to do that. And to not be hard on yourself when you can't figure it out right away. Exactly. Or when four months later, all of a sudden, you find yourself in tears just looking at some tree or seeing mm-hmm. a, a Coca-Cola or something, that, you know, whatever it is, you can't even identify sometimes what just brings you to yes. heartbroken. Yes. So it's... That's because you loved him so well. It's Absolutely. okay. Absolutely. What would life be without that kind of love? Completely. Yeah. We're lucky. Mm. Yeah. Very good. Well, last question, best question. Here it is. Another little piece of sage advice that you can leave our listeners with. You know, I think it's what we've been saying. The gift to yourself to reclaim yourself. And I think not just after someone dies, but that's it all through life. Hopefully you're changing as you grow and you adapt. You know, my degree is in gerontology and that's the whole study of aging and hopefully you're growing through life as you are aging and you're learning more about yourself, more about the world. So give yourself a chance to grow. Don't be afraid. A great note to end on. Don't be afraid. Wow. Just those three words are pretty impactful. Thank you. And you know what? That was the song at the end of my dad's funeral was Be Not Afraid. And it was beautiful. Love it. Yeah. 
Barbara, thank you so much for joining me again. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening. I know this was a hard conversation twice in a row. I promise you it'll get a little lighter from here. (laughs) But I think these were really important topics for us to cover. And I do believe that these conversations will be beneficial to a lot of people. So if it was beneficial to you and you think it might be beneficial to someone else, please share this with them. Share the gift of of allowing them to get prepared for this type of conversation themselves. So you'll find more episodes just like this and a little bit lighter here at the Sage Aging Podcast because we're committed to bringing you all of the important conversations. Because by being educated and by being engaged, you'll make your caregiving and your aging experience better. And that's what we're aiming for, isn't it? So we have some great episodes coming up for you, as I mentioned. And if you're not getting our newsletter, it's a bi-weekly newsletter. I hope that you'll jump over to eldercareguide.com and take a look at what we've got there. There's a link in the upper left-hand corner that will allow you to subscribe to our newsletter and lots of great info comes through there. Or you can connect with us on social media and keep up with us that way. We'd love to connect with you wherever you're comfortable. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and soon to be YouTube. So take a look and see what we've got there and tell us what you think. Are we doing a good job? Are there things we're missing the mark on? I want to know that too, because this podcast is for you. It's designed for the caregivers and families to make your experience better. And if we're not delivering, we surely want to know that. If we are delivering, we want to know that too. And on the next episode, we're going to be chatting with patient advocate and author Sandra Washington about how to prepare for and get the most of your appointments with your doctors. So that is going to be a super beneficial episode for you to listen to. Very practical and very helpful. So you'll want to join us for that. Thanks again for listening, friends. We're so happy that you tune in to share this time with us. We will talk real soon. Thank you.